Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Joe Laluz, the CEO and founder at Bison Trails. Bison Trails is a company that a lot of people have been talking about. And I know I say this a lot, but Bison Trails is really a company that a lot of people talk about. So what they do is they provide premier infrastructure on multiple blockchain protocols to help network scale securely. Their goal is to strengthen the entire ecosystem to enable the pioneers of tomorrow. That's their mission statement. We talked a lot about this idea of infrastructure as a service. And so there's this idea that I've talked about over the last year or so of the show where if you could just go to a place, if you were a founder and you had an idea and you wanted to build something, can you, and especially in a distributed and decentralized manner, is there some place where you could just plug and play basically? And it was this Wix moment in 2005, 2006, 2007, where if you were a founder and you wanted to have an internet presence and you didn't know how to code, you were basically screwed. And so when Wix came around, it said, okay, here's everything, it's plug and play, it's easy. You just hit a few buttons and then you have a website. And I'm making it simple here because it's not that simple there with Bison Trails and things on the blockchain side of things. It's very difficult. You have protocols that are doing file storage. You have protocols that are doing video compression. You have protocols that are doing search and query. Lots of different things. And they're all disparate pieces. And they all work on different consensus algorithms. And they all work on different governance structures. And so bringing that all together is quite complex. And so that's what Bison Trails does. It brings it all together as you can build a robust platform on a distributed and centralized system and systems of protocols out there. Really interesting stuff. And so we talked all about that. Remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice, but please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a really great conversation with Joe Luz from Bison Trails. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Joe Luz, the CEO of Bison Trails with me today. Joe, how's it going? Hey, David. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. Really looking forward to this. Bison Trails has been making and blazing trails, if you will, pardon the pun, over the last uh, few months, especially as regards to things that I consider like infrastructure as a service. And we're going to talk about that, what that means, and how we can actually get more founders into digital assets and blockchains faster and more expeditiously. And so there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about today. Joe and his team are tremendous and they have a lot of respect out there uh, from the community at large. And so we're going to learn why. But as everyone knows, I like to go a little bit more into your background before Bison Trails and before your entry into the space. So you have a really prominent background. You were at a one of probably one of the better technical universities out there at um, you know, Rennesler. And then you were uh, also at Faxet, and then you were at Etsy, and a lot of different places in between. Uh, you've seen a lot, you've been building a lot. Uh, so we'd love to learn a little bit more about your background, but more importantly, as it relates to digital assets and Bitcoin and blockchains and everything that we talk about here on the show. I don't necessarily like to focus on the when Bitcoin moment, but specifically about what distributed and decentralized systems really kind of got you excited. What really spoke to you to really launch Bison Trails? So give us a little bit of background, then we'll go into what Bison Trails is and all that other good stuff. 
Absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you so much for the flattering <laughs> commentary about my background. Um, I, uh, I've, you know, I've been a, an entrepreneur for uh, essentially my whole career. We, you know, we spoke very briefly how I worked at, um, uh, Factset, which is a um, financial services company, in the, uh, mostly in the portfolio, portfolio analytic software uh, space. Although they, I'm, I'm sure at this point they do a whole bunch of products and services. Um, I do have a technical background, um, but but like I said, I've been an entrepreneur for my entire career. Uh, I've been a startup founder, and uh, you know, it really, I, you know, I won't get into the whole long detailed story of this, but um, I've actually been a startup and software founder my entire life. Uh, one of the first software companies I built, um, although at the time I didn't realize it was a software company, I was still in middle school. Um, I was writing software for uh, TI calculators um, for physics and chemistry courses and selling oh, that wow. to the old, older kids in school. Uh, <laughs> just you sort of think back at like the the, the the times when you were when you were young and you realize, oh wow, you know, I guess this was kind of always me. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I, I have I have been an entrepreneur for a long time. Uh, I've built a number of venture-backed companies. Uh, I actually worked at uh, another venture-backed company, a uh, small one, uh, early on in my career. Uh, and then, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of touch quickly on my background and a little bit how that, that translates into digital assets and the crypto space and digital asset space. Uh, but uh, the last company that my co-founder and I worked on, so my co-founder and I, like I said, we're both technical. We both went to engineering school together. Uh, we've actually been working together for 17 years, which is pretty unique um, for a co-founding team. This is the third company we're building together. Uh, and um, we, the, the last company we built together, uh, we actually uh, we, we exited that one uh, in 20, I want to say 2014. I think it was 2014 uh, to a company called Etsy, which is an online marketplace based out of New York City. Uh, or based out of Brooklyn, uh, I joined the leadership team over there. This was before the company went public. Um, got to go through the experience of going public with uh, with this company um, on the leadership team over there, and uh, built out a pretty large uh, product and design and engineering team while we were there, uh, focused on seller services. Uh, and then um, it, all the while, started doing uh, what you know every entrepreneur dreams to be able to do, and I feel very fortunate to be able to do this, but um, started doing a lot of angel investing as well um, after after that exit. So I started investing in founders kind of across the board, uh, no real particular thesis or anything, just trying to find like really, really great people, people I've worked with in the past, founders building a second company, uh, ex-employees or teammates that wanted to build something new and um, investing in them and helping them from the early stages um, build their new ventures and new products and services. Um, so that's, that's kind of like my background. Um, the the i don't <laughs> i don't love the win bitcoin game either mm-hmm. um although i do I, I do think uh my version is kind of funny uh you know I, I like to say like so i was i got involved in bitcoin very early uh and the reason why i got involved in bitcoin very early is not because i was like this is going to change the world uh or not because i'm some future fortune teller uh person it's actually because i'm just a huge nerd uh and <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it, that, that's that's the truth. My my co-founder and I, uh, we were originally exposed to Bitcoin. I think in like two thousand, around two thousand eleven, uh, we were work, we had you know we're working with some other technical folks, and someone that we knew was 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 doing what was called mining Bitcoin. Uh, we didn't really know what that was. Uh, they were using um, some some of our company resources to do it, so people were kind of up in arms about it. <laughs> Uh, and uh, eventually, kind of started digging in, being like, "Oh, what is this weird, you know, programmable money or you know, decentralized assets?" Mm-hmm. And 
really just kind of dabbled in it in bits and pieces here and there uh, in the early stages, you know, uh, you know, just, just really trying to figure out what was interesting here because clearly it was highly, highly technical mm-hmm. uh, and appealed to a very, very nerdy crowd. And, um, you know, my background being uh, internet, internet entrepreneur sort of put me in a position over the course of my life where every time I see like a really esoteric pocket of, of, of information and people playing with something that to me feels like really nerdy and cool, uh, it always ends up being something pretty big. <laughs> you know, uh, the first time was the internet, uh, <laughs> the internet as we know it. That was pretty big. Uh, it, was, it was pretty big. Um, you know, the second time, really, this I found myself in this like pocket of folks that were starting to use like really modern handheld devices and um, what ended up being eventually ended up becoming a sort of like Android operating system and mobile operating systems. Um, and so, you know, just kind of looking at like really nerdy folks building in really nerdy spaces has, has served me well in the past. So that's how I got involved in crypto. Okay. And so let's get into your mission statement. As we now know that you are highly technical, you have the background and you like tinkering with things. So as the mission statement says, we provide, this is Bison Trails, we provide premier infrastructure on multiple blockchain protocols to help networks scale securely. Your goal is to strengthen the entire ecosystem to enable the pioneers of tomorrow. I love that mission mission statement. And so I want to dig into this a little bit more. So we've had people talk about interoperability. We've had this notion of working with proof of work and proof of stake with different types of proof of stake. Effectively, how easy or how hard is it to interface and have different multiple types of chains, different types of consensus algorithms, different types of staking methodologies? How difficult is that to have that all work together, you know, in this idea of creating this kind of premier infrastructure? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a really great question. And I think like that's a um, it's, it's kind of a nuanced question uh, that you have to, you kind of have to, to sort of dig deep and understand the the some of the technical you know challenges and differences between these different protocols to really uh, to really grasp like why that's a hard thing to do. So so the answer you, you know the question is how hard is it? The answer is very hard, uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, I can explain kind of a little bit why it's so hard. Uh, but it is it is uh, it is a tricky one. So the the first the first thing, and I think like the, one of the most important things, and this is kind of speaking to the company's mission. Is that we, um, you know, Aaron and I, when we first started building this company, the reason why we ended up building this company, we didn't, you know, you know, wake up one morning and say, "Let's build Bison Trails." It actually took a very uh, uh, sort of organic uh, progression that that you like to see, that or at least I like to see um, in in company building. It's you know, we we actually started building a few different products and services on a few different protocols. Um, you know, we were building something on Ethereum at one point and something on. Uh, at some point on Cosmos, a proof of, you know, we were, we were building like a proof of concept on a few different protocols. And we, we realized that it didn't matter which protocol we were building on or what product and service we were building. We kept rebuilding some of the same infrastructure components to create secure, reliable access to mm-hmm. the different blockchains. And, um, you know, in, in hindsight, it's like, oh, this was so obvious. Uh, but at the time, it wasn't as obvious. You know, it took us like sort of two or three different proofs of concepts to realize proofs of concept to realize, oh, there's something here. Like this is hard. You know, we've been software engineers and technical folks for 20 years. This is actually hard to build in. And 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 the company's mission was really about making it easier, easier for people to participate, easier for people to build, 
easier for people to interact with these different protocols and different blockchains. So that, that's that's the first thing, right? We set out and said, okay, if this ecosystem is going to matter, if digital assets matter, if blockchains matter, it needs to be easier for people to build products and services because if it's not easier, they won't do it. If they don't, won't do it, then it won't grow. So you know, we said someone's going to build this company. It, we it should be us because we're experts in this space. Um, so let's set out to build that company. So so that's the first thing. The second thing is is really and getting into like you know the the crux of your question is like how hard is that to actually do? So I'm kind of answering why we did that. Um, the reason why we did it is because it's really hard uh, to to currently pick and choose what protocol you actually should be building on as a product or service provider. Um, it's hard to understand who's going to win and for what reason um, from a protocol perspective. So we're seeing folks that are building different blockchains and different protocols for different services or different um, applications. Um, so you might have a blockchain that's meant to truly just be a store of digital assets, or potentially it's meant to be, uh, you know, designed for lending, or it's specifically designed for video transcoding, or um, you know, X, Y, and Z um, type type of service. And so the 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 world that we envision down the you know in the future is a world where you actually have a whole bunch of different protocols that are designed um, in. I don't want to say like very specific ways, but can be used in very specific ways and are super good at that. You know, perhaps they have very high transaction speeds, so they're great for real-time HFT settlement, as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you'll have these products and services that are built of amalgamations of these different protocols. So it's right. kind of like, why why do we want to do this? The reason why we want to do it is because we believe the future is going to look like this and we're building for the future that we believe is going to exist. So, so that's the first thing. Uh, or I should say the second thing. And then the final thing is that it's just really hard to do. So you have to support a whole bunch of these different protocols. Um, they're all better or worse, still considered kind of, you know, beta software. Um, a lot of them are early stage and then they're test phases. And it's really, really hard to create a very stable environment for people to trust uh, around an ecosystem that's like kind of growing and changing on a regular basis. Right. So... I've tried to wedge some knowledge into those that listen, the family offices, the other institutional investors, that back in 92, 93, when we had TCPIP, if you listen to Mark Andreessen, he had an amazing conversation with Katie Hahn from A16 uh, back in August, and Mark was talking about the early days in the internet. And so you had TCPIP, which basically is what we all use as the internet, as the backbone of the internet. And then you would have to use a modem, and then you would have to call your ISP, and then you'd have to pray to God or whatever God you believe in that you wouldn't blow up your computer to try to get online. And then this all kind of then amalgamated and kind of merged and adopted and kind of went through evolutions where, you know, you had file storage, you had query, you had video compression, you had all that kind of tacked into TCP IP and it basically just all worked in an interoperable manner. And so, you know, it's really interesting when we think about bison trails. And as I said, you know, I kind of define it, I think I'm not the only one, but infrastructure as a service. And so, you know, there's this notion that you have, you know, projects like a Filecoin, you have projects like a Definity, you have projects all out there that are doing separate pieces, as you alluded to, there are different protocols effectively out there that are doing specialized components of it. But getting that all to work together harmoniously and creating these kind of platforms that we're used to is not very easy stuff. And so... I really, there's this idea that I've had that a company like Bison Trails 
is bringing us into the what I would define as the Wix circa 2006 moment. Whereas before, if you were going to create a website because you finally decided to get online and have a presence there, you know, before Wix, you would have to know how to code. You'd have to know HTML. You'd have to know CSS. You'd have to know, you know, maybe a little bit of Python. You'd have to know different languages to be able to create something that was relevant. And then Wix came along and basically said, oh, here's a bunch of templates. You like this? You do that. Boom, boom. Click, damn, done. And then you have a website and you're done. And so I'd love for you to talk about this idea, how Bison Trails potentially is creating that Wix circa 2006 moment for us and creating this kind of environment that allow founders to say, okay, I have an idea, I want to create this, but I can't go through the whole process of, you know, going from, you know, ground zero to, you know, ground, you know, to floor 100. I just can't do it. How do I, how do I do this? Who can help me? So talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And I think, um, I, you know, I, I think uh, in concept, you're spot on in, in, in how we think about the the platform and the product that we're building and, and why, you know, I, I think this all sort of stems from from the reason why that we're trying to build it. And, you know, not to harp on this too much, but we come from a builder background. We come from a technical background and the the, the inspiration and the, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the desire to build this platform is from solving our own problem. Right, realizing that we were we were building some intricate infra- infrastructure pieces to solve our own problems, and said, "Hey, why don't we offer these infrastructure pieces to other folks?" And talking to other builders in the space and asking them, "Hey, are you having trouble with the same things?" And them saying, "Yes, we are having trouble with these same things," and saying, "Like, well, why don't we build this as a as a platform for people to use?" So, super spot on. Um, another example that I like to use and. Um, if we can only, you know, Wix is a fantastic company or, you know, a Shopify, those sort of like platforms that, that we're sort of familiar with today that, you know, make it easier for people to, to build like a website or build a, an online shop, um, you know, really, really similar. Uh, another one that I like to use is, you know, and this one's a little bit further back is is kind of in the, you know, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, if you wanted to build just any kind of web company, uh, you started by having to you know, hire a data center team and rack servers and find, you know, space all over the world to be able to support uh, any kind of product and service with scale. And this would, this would be super high um, CapEx, super, super high CapEx venture. Um, software companies, I don't know, if, you know, I feel like people forgot. Like it used to be like you'd raise 20 million bucks just to just to get started because you had to rack all these machines to be able to do this. Um, and then in, you know, 2005, uh, Amazon decides that they're going to start leasing out some of their existing or their excess capacity to um, people that wanted to use it. Compute they wanted to use computer storage. Um, first, EC2 was a product which is compute, and then storage S3, uh, which is their second product, um, to folks that wanted to use it for you know temporary or a little bit of time, and um, that spurred an entire uh, growth spurt of, of of software founders being able to build minimum viable products and test out new software products and ideas. Uh, in a way that we hadn't seen bef- that we hadn't seen before, and so we sort of take it for granted. So we actually think about it in a very similar way, where um, you know we are taking something that is complicated, it's nuanced. You have to understand the detail, all the details of it, um, to be able to use it. But it doesn't really make sense that that needs to be true, and we're putting it into a platform to make it easy to engage. So we, you know, we make it if you want to you know run, uh, you know, if you want to run uh, blockchain servers or nodes on a network like Cosmos or Tezos or Filecoin or Definity or any of the networks you just described. Uh, you can do that with just a few clicks on Bison Trails, and so right. that, that's how we think about it. And, and um, you know, AWS did a really similar thing in, in 
in uh, in the early 2000s, in the mid 2000s. It's so interesting that we're getting to that point. And a lot of people, I think, you know, for years, well, I say years, you know, you talked about Cosmos and I, I, re I reference Zaki coming on the show eight months ago talking about how every year in crypto is 10 years in human life. And it, it's so true um, because, you know, the idea of having a portal, if you will, or a system, a platform that allowed you to kind of plug and play, as you will, into different different protocols like you're mentioning, you know, was something fantastical about two years ago. And then all of a sudden you guys came along and we're like, oh, wait a second. That actually, I <laughs> can't believe any, no one really thought about that. It makes, it, it makes so much sense, as you alluded to in the beginning. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about is this idea you also mentioned on the site that we help scale blockchain networks securely. So I love to talk. I always talk to people about scaling because we've had, I say, kind of false positive benchmarks in terms of scale and throughput, you know, as relates to Bitcoin. It's always been the Visa comparison, which is not necessarily appropriate. And then, of course, unfortunately, that also uh, kind of traverses down to Ethereum. Ethereum is completely different. It's more of a computational system and not necessarily a financial transaction system, although there are obviously cases of that happening now, too, with DeFi. But as it relates to scaling, you know, one of the things I'd love to hear is that, you know, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin, I think, is that the Bitcoin network has been up about 998 or 99.9% .9 of the time over the last 10 years. Yes, folks, I do not say it's been up 100% of the time. Yes, there was a little point in time back in the early days where we had a little bit of a downtime. I understand it was a blip, and I understand the network was just getting going, but it, it is a technical downtime. Um, so 99.9% .9 of the time, I'll say that just to make everyone happy, over 10 years is pretty damn good. So what do you think in terms of systems that are kind of on the proof-of-stake side of things. What do you think the expectations are for those networks running uh, as relates to the idea of securely and being upward, uptime, up and the idea of scaling? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, first, first of all, I would, I would kind of just tease out this idea of scaling. And I think just generally speaking in the blockchain and crypto ecosystem, um, the word scaling or scale gets kind of thrown around a lot. Like what does scale mm -hmm. actually mean? Um, you know, I don't think we've seen a crypto network scale to the scale that you know we've seen some of the internet, you know, centralized internet companies scale uh, at from a message transaction perspective, from a number of users perspective. So, um, as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we're still in the very early innings of of blockchain and crypto and digital assets, uh, and we have not seen any scale anywhere. <laughs> you know, um, but then, but then I, I would say I would say kind of like that. There's there's two sort of pieces there. Uh, one is uh, you know, how do we help a network scale uh, in a sense, like how do we make sure that it doesn't fall apart as it gets bigger and more used? Um, and the second thing is like, how do we help them identify whether or not that's that's possible or true? Uh, and so uh, one of the things that we're, uh, we're known for, or we have, you know, a good reputation around is actually helping a lot of uh, blockchain protocol developers in the early stages of their development life cycle. So you have these you know, really great team, some of the smartest people and honestly, most courageous people that I've ever met in, the, in my entrepreneurship career that are building some of these uh, different blockchains. And they often spend you know, year, you know, months, years building and testing out these new blockchains. And uh, it's actually very, very, if you think of it, you know, very pragmatically, if you're a team of five people, how do you test to see if like the, the software you wrote works for 10,000 people? So it's actually like not a, it's a non-trivial task to, to mm -hmm. solve. 
Um, especially when what you're trying to simulate is, you know, 10,000 people that might be all over the world that are distributed, right? Because these are distributed networks. They're not just, you know, how can I see if, you know, 10,000 people can use you know, my, my one, my one you know, t- Twitter uh, software, my, my one you know, Twitter company mm-hmm. or, or something along those lines. Um, and so as an infrastructure, as an automated infrastructure as a service company, so we're, we are an infrastructure as a service company. And as a platform, what we've done is we've automated the deployment management and geographic distribution of these, these blockchain nodes or blockchain servers. Um, I know that sounds like a mouthful and it's very technical. What that basically means is that we make it really easy to run these computers anywhere in the world. Uh, and we do it in a way where uh, they're fault tolerant. So if there's anything that goes wrong with that computer, we can recover it almost immediately. We can move them almost immediately. So if there's an issue, say, in the UK, and we have machines that are running in the UK on a particular protocol, we can actually move them to somewhere like you know, France or Spain, or I'm just using random examples. Um, and so we can actually optimize uh, sort of network topology and, and help the early stage protocol teams understand what it would mean to like run, you know, a portion of your network in Southeast Asia and a portion of it in Europe and a portion of it in the United States. And um, so, so that's one thing we help teams in the early stages when they're testing and help them test out some of the scaling solutions that they've built. And so that's been, that's been quite cool. And, and why a lot of these technical teams really like us because we, we, you know, help them. Um, it's not something that we, uh, you know, charge people for. It's not really a service we, uh, we charge for. We, we mostly believe that it's like kind of part of our duty and helping grow this ecosystem doing that. Right. So, um, so, so that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is the way I think about scale and how we truly help these protocols scale, is as they start to see traction, we make it easier for more people to participate in these different networks. And the 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 most important thing for any of these networks, and part of the reason what you described, like you know, one of the reasons why Bitcoin's been up for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of of the time in the last ten years, is because there's actually a lot of people that are running Bitcoin nodes and Bitcoin miners on on the network. Um, and so what an early network really needs, especially in a proof of stake network, is lots of people to run infrastructure on that network. A lot of, lot of computers that are communicating with each other, that are upholding the protocol rules and, are pro- and passing messages back and forth. So we make it way easier. The more people that can do that, the better it is for the network, the more secure that network is. So we inherently help those networks scale. The other thing that's a little bit more nuanced there is we actually can help uh, these networks exist in places where they, when you know, without any thought put into it, they wouldn't necessarily exist. So, um, what we found is that you know a lot of these different protocols that can run in cloud computing environments, people generally speaking, operators. So if I'm someone who wants to run a Tezos Baker, I will generally like uh, in, in a sort of in a vacuum, I would generally choose the path of least resistance to build my Tezos Baker, which means I'm going to do it kind of somewhat simply, somewhat easily. And whatever's closest to me. For a lot of people, that ends up being like AWS East, <laughs> and um, and so then you end up in a scenario where you know a huge portion of a network is actually run in AWS East, and so there's no uh, cloud uh, variety. Um, so we're a multi-cloud platform, which means we can e- easily and automatically deploy nodes across things like uh, Google Cloud and Azure and AWS uh, and any other uh, uh, um, computing platform or computing service provider that we add to, to the Bison Trails platform. And so um, inherently, we also help, uh, as the networks grow and scale, we help um, the the infrastructure itself scale along with it. Got it. So Bison Trails is a preferred infrastructure provider for key projects and a trusted brand. And so when you take a look at their website, and we'll give you that at the end of the show, they're working with Cosmos, Decred, they're working with Livepeer. 
they're testing things like Cardano and Keep. Keep we've had on near, and a lot of the projects we've had on here, Scale and Solana. So it is just you know a fantastic array of different protocols they are working with. And as Joe's alluding to, there's there's a damn good reason for that. And so they're really at the forefront of this. So everyone should take a look. So one of the things I want to take a uh, quick peek at and kind of discuss is this idea of reduced slashing. So you guys talked about that on one of your blog posts recently. And so the idea of slashing, for those that may not be familiar, you can guys go back to some of the conversations we had about proof of stake, is that if you put up stake and in this particular network, that's usually an economic uh, kind of methodology. So if there is a network out there and you want to be, you know, a a oracle on there, or if you want to be a validator with more kind of credentials, you want to be part of, uh, you know, bigger part of the governance network, you can obviously, if you have the means, you can put up more economic stake. Um, but then obviously it goes the other way is that if you are a bad actor, if you bad actor does not mean that you're nefarious per se, but if you don't have your compute up, if you, you know, all of a sudden decide to turn off your machines, or if you're just not necessarily doing things that are useful to the network for its propagation and validation of different things that are happening, you can have the the effectively the stake that you put up slashed. And so it there is a you know, fairly negative economic consequence to bad behavior, quote unquote. So how do you work to reduce slashing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, that you know, and that's a pretty it's a pretty accurate description. Um, you know, the, the simple way to define it is if you're if you're good, uh, you, you're incentivized to do good, and if you're bad, you're disincentivized to do bad. And both of those are sort of economic incentives and disincentives, and it, that happens at the protocol level. The protocols are designed to do that. Um, so there's there's a couple things. Uh, the first thing is uh, the way that we've designed and built our infrastructure platform uh, helps reduce the potential risk of being slashed, and that's because. Um, you know, from its core, from its day zero, we built this platform specifically with uh, uh, participatory networks in mind. So things like proof of stake and proof of authority networks in mind. The idea was to participate in a enterprise grade way in these networks. And, um, you know, I want to maybe attribute that to like some early, some early days when my co-founder and I were kind of in these early communities and we were hearing folks saying like, oh, I'm going to run, you know, my Cosmos validator on a Raspberry Pi in my dorm room. Uh, or you know on a you know on a server in like the college dorm rooms, and we were saying like this doesn't make any sense. Like if this network is going to scale to you know be worth you know hundreds a hundred billion dollars and be the you know the, the inter blockchain of, <laughs> of 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 the future, mm -hmm. uh, the infrastructure that's going to support that needs to be way more robust. Needs to have like hyper needs to be hyper secure, hyper redundant. Needs to be able to support you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of transactions uh, in a meaningful way. And we've, you know, we've built um, some infrastructure pieces uh, in, in previous companies at scale and, and sort of sort of under, understood that, knew that um, from, from our early, our earliest, we, we just felt like, you know, it was kind of a fallacy to think that that was possible. Um, so we built the platform with this in mind. Um, and, you know, one of the best, re one of the ways that you can get slashed is because you go offline um, or what is called double signing. Um, and the reason why you get slashed and the reason why there's economic penalties is because it's actually quite detrimental for proof of stake uh, mm -hmm. consensus protocol to do these things. It's actually very, very bad. It's costly for the network to do it, which is why it makes sense that the penalties are high. Um, but the, the, where our platform is built in the sense that we're you know, cloud independent, 
uh, and geography and zone independent. Uh, and we're able to move uh, our node infrastructure across multiple different cloud providers and zones and regions almost in real time, uh, puts us in a position where we can recover much faster than folks that are, let's just say, on the hyperbolic end, like running a Cosmos validator on a computer in their uh, in their college, uh, you know, data center. Uh, then we, we can we can um, we can react much faster to to an issue or an outage like that. Um, so, so that's the first thing. Uh, we can minimize the amount of downtime that would potentially happen on a per uh, node or per sort of operator basis. The second thing is, is that we as an infrastructure platform are 100% solely focused on solving these infrastructure for blockchain problems. So you have a lot of companies that are kind of, you know, you know, either they're an exchange or they're a custodian or they're potentially a fund or they're a staking as a service company and they're doing things like, you know, lending and, um, you know, uh, structured assets or, you know, they're trying to do sort of some financial services. We're a pure play technology company. That's what we do. That's what we do best, uh, which means that we're really only trying to solve this, uh, this problem and only this problem. And we're actually working on a few really interesting pieces of technology uh, that we'll be announcing soon um, that will uh, put us in a really great spot as far as, um, you know, slashing and slashing protection. And hmm. we're doing that from a technology perspective as well. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the surprise. Um, I also don't want to, <laughs> yeah, I don't also don't want to upset our our, um, our product and engineering team, but we're working on some really cool stuff. Um, well, when that comes out live, then we're going to have to get you back out here and talk about it for sure. Definitely, uh, definitely. But you know, it's it, it, you know, suffice it to say that that this is in our DNA, right? This mm-hmm. is this is in the company's DNA. It's in the team's DNA. Uh, we're predominantly an engineering team from you know incredible, incredible infrastructure engineering pedigree. I'm you know, very proud of the team and the folks that are uh, trying to solve these hard problems with us. Awesome. So the last thing I'd like to kind of address, and I think, as we said, you know, kind of the onset before we talk that a lot of family offices and a lot of institutional investors are very cognizant of what happened last year with Libra. Uh, It was brought into the the forefront. um, And it kind of it did a lot of good, in my opinion, because the potentiality of over 2 billion daily active users who are going to get a cryptographically powered wallet with Calibra was quite interesting. And so, you know, from a distribution and marketing perspective, you know, we talked about that's, that's pretty good. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that, uh, it was an attack per se on Bitcoin, anything else in the world, you know, 2 billion users, you know, if you had a percentage of a percentage of that getting into Bitcoin, because they now have the Calibra wallet, for instance, that's pretty awesome. And so one of the things that I know, uh, is a part of the kind of, 2019 roadmap and what you guys worked on was that you are part of the consortia that was involved with Libra. Um, you know, just for people that might be curious, kind of, you know, I know you can't go into specifics because, you know, there's a lot of things that you guys are working on on a daily basis. Um, but any kind of, you know, any update or any kind of thing you want to share about Libra and the work that you guys are doing there? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we've built, you know, just to reiterate, we've built a protocol agnostic, so meaning blockchain agnostic platform. We want to help the entire ecosystem. Um, we work, like you said earlier, we work with, um, we're currently live, I believe, on eight uh, proof of stake protocols uh, and uh, adding another 23 in the next six months. Uh, so, so you know, we're, we're heavily, heavily involved in the space with some of the best protocol teams in the world. Uh, and so when the Libra team, uh, approached us and said, "Hey, you know, I, I've never, I'd never met anybody from from that team, from the Facebook team, and you know, they said, hey, like, 
we know you've been doing incredible work in the space. You work with all these different protocol teams. You help them from early stages. Can you help us? Um, we kind of looked at it the same way that you just described, which is uh, this isn't necessarily an attack on any kind of fundamentals around decentralization or censorship. It's truly about moving the space forward. And you have a really, really a, a company for its, you know, for its, its for for better or for worse that was sort of leading the charge and um, putting together this consortium. Um, and so uh, we were, you know, very, very interested for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, crypto, getting crypto in the hands of, like you said, two billion plus people is is good for everybody, no matter what. Uh, and 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 also um, sort of begs this this question, and this is something that like I've been, you know, we we've been toying uh, toying with internally is, you know, how does what does mainstream adoption of crypto actually look like? Does that mean like individual every individual person knows that they're using crypto, or does it mean that they're using crypto in the background, that they're using digital assets in the background to power, power their products and services? Does it mean that every computer in the world is transferring value behind the scenes without us knowing using cryptographic networks? Um, and and so I, I think like you know maybe understanding that a little bit better and the implications of a, of a project and uh, a project like Libra uh, helped push us in the direction of like, this seems like an incredibly important thing to be a part of. Right. Um, so we, we, you're right. We joined the Libra association, which we're very happy to, to have done. We're still part of the Libra association. Not in fact, uh, last month I was elected to the technical steering committee of the Libra association. So it's a small group of technical leaders that are helping govern the open source project of Libra. Um, so we, we do things like, you know, um, uh, elect like the the maintainers and collaborators and contributors to the project, uh, and we help drive the roadmap forward. So we we also help vote on the the roadmap, the open source projects roadmap. Awesome. So super 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 key piece uh, from a technical perspective. Lots we you know I'm very excited to have a lot of impact on that project. I'm very excited to be a part of it. Um, you know, obviously we still have a tremendous amount of work to do. Um, you know, the technology is looking really great. We're having some of the some really great conversations with. Um, you know, other companies, different um, different regulators, and uh, the project is moving forward in a, in a uh, really thoughtful uh, and meaningful way. And um, I'm I'm super pumped about that. Really, really excited about it. Um, still very excited about the potential for Libro. Awesome. And so the last things that we like to do with guests when they come on is there are two things that we hopefully get to enjoy um, putting into our brains, our bodies is reading uh, anything that you've read recently that resonated with you. It could be crypto related. It could be non-crypto related. It could be fiction. It could be nonfiction. Anything that you've read recently that was like, wow, this is amazing. And then any music that you listen to, I find that that is a really interesting tell on person's personality and so music and books anything that you can share uh yeah awesome um so i finally got around to reading this book called the diamond age by neil stevenson i've read a few of neil stevenson's books in the past Mm -hmm. um he's amazing he's an amazing writer uh his books are you know sort of this somewhat dystopian science fiction world um but the Diamond Age in particular was one that a few friends had suggested, especially because you, you said it could be fiction, nonfiction, it could be crypto, it could be not. Uh, it actually kind of meets all of those <laughs> in, in some weird way. Yep. Um, highly, highly recommend that book. Um, super entertaining, very, very well done, very well written and um, relevant to the space and sort of uh, makes me think of, uh, you know, when I got into the space and, um, uh, you know, I, I was talking, explaining, explaining to my wife about sort of what I do and, and she was saying, 
when she realized, sort of understood what we were working on and, and the problems we were trying to solve, she said to me, you know, you have the opportunity to do incredible good for the world, but you also have the opportunity to do incredible bad for the world. Make sure that you're on the right side <laughs> yep. of, uh, of the technology roadmap. And I, you know, yep. it, uh, that's not, that, sticks, that will stick with me forever. Um, and so I think The Diamond Ages is a really good book that illustrates kind of like what can be some of the best parts and worst parts about what we do. Funny thing about Neil Stevenson's books is that if you ever decide to become a sumo wrestler and you don't have a lot of weight on you, you can strap a few of those books around you and probably compete with other sumo wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. They are very big books. Yeah, they're certainly they're certainly um, not for the faint of heart, but truly, truly, truly recommend um, recommend that one. And, you know, pick it up on a Kindle. You don't have to carry it around. There you go. <laughs> easier, to, easier to pick it up, whatever. Uh, and then music. Man, that's, that's a good one. I... Um, I really truly am a music fan of all sorts of varieties and genres um i uh i like everything honestly it's really really hard for me to pick and um i can't say that there's anything new that i'm like super excited about um i uh yeah i don't know i'm i'm been digging i've been digging a lot of if you were on a deserted island you could take one band with you to play music all the time who would it be the beatles I know, I know that will probably upset some people and make other people happy, but uh, okay. I've always been a very, very, very big Beatles fan. Um, and so that, uh, that, that would be the, I'd probably take uh, the White Album mm. with me on this desert island. And if anyone cares about my answer, that would be Queen, just so. Um, they, yeah, uh, uh, the, I would say Freddie Mercury is uh, right up there, right yeah. up there with them, you know, maybe yep. number two. There you go. Last thing that we like to do, where can people find out more about Bison Trails? Where can they get involved? Where can they start, you know, getting in touch with you and the team? What can, uh, what can you share? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we're an infrastructure as a service company. We work with some of the world's top uh, custodians, uh, exchanges, uh, digital asset managers, funds uh, that are holding uh, crypto assets or digital assets that want to participate in networks. Um, you can uh, find us on uh, on Twitter at, at Bison Trails or at bisontrails.co uh, on the web. Uh, you can also email us hi at bisontrails.co. Uh, we're happy to uh, take cold inbounds and um, you know companies growing and obviously want to hear from you if you're interested in the space and want to learn more about what we do um, or if you're a product or service uh, builder in the space and want help running your infrastructure. We're happy to help as well. Awesome. So this was Joe Lelouz, CEO of Bison Trails. I've been really looking forward to getting Joe on to talk about what they've been building as this idea, as I mentioned, about infrastructure as a service. And this idea of bringing us you know, into this kind of 2006, 2007 moment of the web where it really started to become proliferated, where people had an idea and they didn't necessarily need to be as technically advanced as others. And they were able to take that idea from their brain and really start create things. And so... Really interesting stuff. Joe, thanks for coming on. Hopefully you can catch up with you after you release some more of that information you were talking about and we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much, David. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. 
If you like what you're listening to on Base Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.